verse 17 of chapter 11, 1 Corinthians. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions, that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed and took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also after the supper, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks and eats and drinks judgment himself, to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many of you are weak, sick, and a number asleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, Let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining manners I will arrange when I come. Father, I ask now that you will teach us. Father, we will draw upon your word of truth. We will draw upon the power that spoke existence into being. And that, Father, we will draw upon you. Father, we are desperate. Father, we have need of you at this moment. But, Lord, we have need of you every moment of our lives. Father, help us now. Help us to hear. Father, help us to draw deep to you and you alone. And Father, may we just cherish this time. May we cherish this moment. And Father, may we give you the praise and glory for what you have done. To you and you alone, our King. In Christ's name, amen. Now then, to help you with this, I would ask that you turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And I'll start at verse 51. 51. Okay, I've, I've dealt with the Lord's table numerous times in these last, I think this is the fourth message. Um, and, and, and I want us to understand this a little bit more. Um, I, I believe that we miss what the Lord's table celebration is. And I believe it will become a little more evident as we do. We've looked in the last couple of weeks at verses 18 through 22. Today we're going to be moving into verse 23, the purpose of the Lord's table. But I want us to kind of get a picture of what is being said. Because I I think at times 
Uh, in our society, in this day, in this age, we have... Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't think of a better word, but I think we're a little flippant with the Lord's table. It's just something you're supposed to do. Um, I know churches that do it every Sunday. Uh, I know churches that do it different styles and mannerisms. People ask me, um, when are you supposed to partake? How, how often are you supposed to take of the Lord's table? And it says often. <laughs> okay, that's what it says, often. Um, and, um, but yet, I, I think we miss this because uh, of a few things. The sixth chapter of John's Gospel will help us understand this a little more. The emphasis of this chapter, chapter 6, Jesus is presenting Himself to the Jewish people as the bread of heaven. Okay? Uh, the Jews were very familiar with understanding manna. Okay? And that God literally fed from heaven Israel when they were in the wilderness. In verse 51, He makes this statement, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven, and if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give, I will give for the life of the world, is my flesh. Now stop right there. He is saying, when he speaks that I am the bread of heaven, he is only taking the title of deity. Please understand what he said. Right? Because people say Jesus never claimed to be God. Yeah, he does right there. All right? He is speaking of his deity. And he says, anyone who would eat of this bread will have eternal life. Okay? That's what he's saying. You'll have eternal life if you partake of this bread. Okay, what is he speaking of? His deity. Get a hold of this. If, in, in Romans 10, it says, if you, can, if you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead and confess with your mouth that He is Lord, you will be saved. And we all say, well, nobody can say Jesus is Lord unless they're saved. I, I used to be in construction and people used to say it all the time. Okay, but they weren't saved. All right? It isn't the issue of, of this verbalization of the phrase. The issue is, if I confess with my mouth, confess means I'm in absolute agreement. Okay, So out of my heart speaks my mouth. I'm in absolute agreement that Jesus is Lord. If you partake of this bread, you will have eternal life. Okay? Eat this bread. What is this bread? He says the bread is his flesh. His flesh. Okay? It all comes together that what he's trying to say to the people, actually what he said to the people, but they just didn't get it, is that God is now walking in front of you incarnate in his flesh. God is walking in front of you as a man. That's what he's saying in John 6. Okay? He, he's saying, and, and, and you partake of that. Alright? The incarnate human body of God stands before that. To, to receive that. Um, probably a better word would be to appropriate that. 
How do I get a hold of that? How do I grasp that? And Jesus is speaking in a physical terminology, but it is a spiritual message. And Jesus is saying, receive me. Receive me. Take me in. Okay? Why? If you take me in, your soul will be satisfied. As a man takes bread to satisfy his stomach, take me in and I shall satisfy your soul. Okay? Here's what the people thought. Verse 52. The Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can... This man give us his flesh to eat. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay? He's just not big enough. Several million of us. How are we all going to eat this thing? Okay? That's really what they're concluding. Why? I believe they were called blind guides. Okay? They didn't understand it. What he was claiming is... God has taken the form of man and I stand before you. Do you believe? Here was their conclusion. How are we going to eat that? How are we going to cut that sucker up? Okay, Jesus explains it in verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you will have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides with me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, Okay, speaking of the manna, but he who eats this bread will live forever. Okay? Now take it back to the upper room where he's just, he set instituted what you and I celebrate as the Lord's table. Okay? Two things that he lays out there. Unless you accept the incarnation, okay, you can never be saved. You can never be saved. Listen, it isn't because Jesus... I see people who say that at His baptism in the Jordan River by John and the Holy Spirit came down upon it and a voice spoke from heaven, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And at that point in time, He became God, dwelled spiritually. That's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Okay, that is a lie. Why? He's virgin born. Who was His Father? Spirit of the living God. Okay? It is bread from heaven. It is that that will give eternal life. Okay, if you cannot believe that, you cannot have eternal life. Second thing you have to understand about that text. If you do not understand and accept the atoning blood sacrifice, substitutionary sacrifice, you're never going to have eternal life. You've got to have those two. Okay? God incarnate. God walking among us in human form and His sacrificial death in your behalf. Eternal life is a matter of believing that God came in human flesh and that He died substitution for you. That's what the rest of that text says. And He says, to all and to everyone. Okay, specifically He's speaking to the Jewish people. But they rejected Him. Okay, unless you can accept that fact... 
that I am God in human flesh, accept the fact that by my death, you can ne- that my death is the one that atones for sin, you'll never have eternal life. Period. Okay? I've made this statement several times, and I'll remind you about it. There is an infinite number of ways to come to Jesus Christ. Okay? One way to God. And it has to be through the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? If you cannot embrace that, if you cannot cling to that, if you cannot draw upon that, all that He is and all that He has done, you can never be saved. Okay? You who are saved this day, when you were saved, you did that. At some point, God and the Holy Spirit came upon you, showed you that it was Jesus Christ was God. Okay? He was not a God. He was God. He walked among us. 33 years He hung out with us. Okay, 33 years. His ministry was very short, actually. Three years long. And you believe that. And you also believe that He died in your place. Okay? That is salvation. That is salvation. Okay, now, now I want you to think, because remember where we're at, chapter 11. When you share in what most people will call communion. Okay, communion is literally communication. Okay, so when I think about it, I think about the, the, the bread and the cup as the Lord's table. Okay, because Paul tells me I'm supposed to pray without ceasing. That would be communion, communication. I am communing. Do you know when the body of people come together that are the true believers? That is communion with God. Okay? And it doesn't matter how many there are. That is communing with God. When you share in the communion, uh, you are s- symbolically outward testifying of what has happened to you truly, spiritually inward. It- it's sort of like believer's baptism. Believer's baptism has absolutely nothing to do with salvation. Okay? It is only an act of obedience. Why? Jesus said... Be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? I tell people who get baptized, baptism, most baptisms, people are so nervous when they're getting baptized, they don't remember anything about it. And usually baptism has a greater effect on the people who are witnessing it than the people who are actually going through it. Okay? But at some point in time, you must accept the deity of Christ. Okay? His substitutionary death. Um, and it, that you became saved at that time. And every time you partake of the bread and the cup, you declare that. Okay, and you'll see that in this text. All right, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11. I shared with you over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the perversions of this. They were fighting with one another, they were drunk. Some of them were. The rich people were literally um, making sure they got all the food to eat before the poor people got there. There were divisions in the church. Um, People were bickering with one another. Um, And yet Paul says, don't understand that 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 takes place because those who are approved will be seen. Okay. The result of all of this, verse 20 says, when you meet together, you ain't eating the Lord's table. Okay, think about what I just gave to you. Okay, out of John 6. Unless you eat of my 
body and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. Now let me ask you a question. How can you be factious if you've partaken of the Lord? What division does Christ have? So how can you come and partake of His remembrance of that effect and be factious? That's what Paul's saying. It's impossible. You may be going through some words. You may be taking a cracker and a a little cup of juice or something to that effect, but you're not partaking of the Lord's table. You may think you are, but you're not. It's impossible. You can't be that disjointed even to the point where he says, do you despise the church? You can't be that way and be partaking of the Lord's table. It's impossible. That's what Paul is saying. You may be doing something, but your attitudes and your actions say that what you're doing is not the Lord's table. Okay? Now then, we move into verse 23. All right? You know what? This is so cool. This is an amazing piece of Scripture. It's beautiful. And what the heck is... It's just amazing about it, I think, is that he drops the beauty of this right in the middle of a mess. I mean, it's almost like the thing is bookend on each side. You've got sick, weak, and dying Christians. You've got factions, drunkenness, and despising of the church. It's stuck right in the middle as a celebration of the Lord's table. It's almost like you've got negatives on both ends. But you know one of the things that I've seen... Uh, the gospel, the New Testament does this on a regular basis. Takes some of the most beautiful stuff in all of Holy Writ and it's surrounded by ugliness. Okay? Look what he says here. I, for I received from the Lord. And I like that because he says, this is not my opinion. This is not some traditions of men. Okay, this is not my idea. I have received this from the Lord. And he says, guess what? I give it to you. Now, understand this. Please understand this. At the writing of this letter, how many Gospels had been written? None. This is the first statement of God in print regarding the Lord's table. Okay, so Paul's saying, I want you to understand that the words are directly from Jesus. He himself, Jesus himself instituted this. Jesus himself has ordained this. Okay, he says, I have received this. And then I look at it, it says this, I deliver to you. I have already given you this. You are aware of this. I have spent 18 months with you. I have spent that much time with you. We've had, we have sat down together many, many, many times and partaken of the Lord's table. You have received this. You know this. And he says this, The Lord Jesus, in the night in which He was betrayed, He took the bread. Okay? I, I wondered why He said that. The night. That night. The night of His betrayal. Why did he say it that way? Why did he say on the eve of the Passover? Why did he say on the night before the crucifixion? Again, the New Testament does this occasionally. They will set the most glorious, the most beautiful, the most wondrous in the background of the most ugly. 
Okay? Here's the other thing, betrayal. You know what's amazing about the word betrayal? A stranger cannot betray you. Did you know that? A stranger cannot betray you. So he uses a phrase in the original language that says, a friend's deception and deceit that night of his betrayal. How awful is that? Have you ever been betrayed by a friend? Does it hurt? Absolutely it hurts. Absolutely it hurts. And that's what Paul says. On the night of his betrayal, he did this. He did this. It says that the Lord gave thanks. Do you know that the word there, gave thanks? That's the word we get the Eucharist from. He gave, it's Eucatos. And we get Eucharist from that. Okay, now, I, want to, I, I, I just lay that out because we're really aware of this. Because two things just flat out run over me on this. Okay? And I, want, I just want to look at two phrases this day. Okay? Because the Lord gave thanks. Okay? You please, you please, please, please understand it. And I'll pick this up in the weeks to come. Judas is still in the room. Judas has just had his feet washed by Jesus. Please understand this. All the... Peter's going to deny him. And the other ten, we don't have a clue where they're at. I mean, everybody says, well, I just can't believe Peter denied him. I can't believe the other ten have vanished from the planet. I mean, at least Peter was in a position to deny him. The rest of them were just gone. Were just gone. But there's two words I want to look at here because two phrases I want to look at because they just absolutely pierced me. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Let's stop right there. You need to understand the mindset of the day and the age of the writing of this, the historical backdrop, but you also need to understand the original language on this. Okay? When he says, my body, we need to understand what he is he's saying here. Okay? In the original language, in the mindset of the day, he's not talking about this instance. He's not talking about this thing right here. He's talking about that which is the totalness of the whole man. Okay? This is all that he is. So when you see the word my body, you're talking about the whole man. What is he saying? The whole incarnate life of Christ. Okay? The bread, this broken bread, this bread, this crackers that we would take or whatever you want to call. This bread represents all that Christ is. Okay? I am of God. I am as God incarnate. The whole thing. The whole thing. When he says, this is my body, he's speaking of the whole mystery of the incarnation. From the day of his birth to the few hours in which he would die and his resurrection. And his resurrection. Okay? Not the ascension, but the resurrection. Okay? The whole of his incarnation... 
the whole of his 33 years of being on the planet, including the nine months in his mother's womb, is what he's saying. This is my body. And it's all summed up. Everything that he is, everything that he was, is summed up in the term body. God in human flesh. Okay? So what he's saying is, remember, I became man. I suffered. I walked with you. I listened to you. I dwelt with you. I was rejected. I was despised. And I ultimately died for you. That's my body. That's what he's saying. All that I am. Okay, listen. Bread is not just his death. Please understand this. You've got to grab a hold of this. We're not celebrating his death. Are we? How many of us want to celebrate his death? But when it says his body, what are you celebrating? All of him. When you take of the cup, what are you celebrating? That is his blood. So when you partake of the Lord's table, what have you done? All that he is. All that he is. He says, this is my body. Okay, now if your Bible says, broken for you, take your little pen and scratch that out. Okay, the best manuscripts do not have it. And I believe that if you are a student of the word and you carefully read John's 19, John's gospel 19, says that the soldiers came by and they noticed that he was already dead. So they did not break his legs that scripture might be fulfilled, that not one, not a bone of him shall be broken. Okay? If you've ever sung that great hymn, Shed Blood and Broken Body, nope. Okay? Shed blood, yes. Body, yes. Broken, nope. Not one bone was broken. Okay? So, my body, which is all that he is, please get a hold of this. This is the Holy Spirit's conception. The virgin birth, his time with Mary and Joseph, his father, his time with the temple, the time he said under the Pharisees, and then in that thirty, that in his thirty-third years, that three or his thirtieth year, that three years that he took, um, and, and his ministry in Galilee, Perea, Samaria, and Judea. Okay, it includes all of his carpenter time when he worked at his daddy's shop. Everything that he did, God incarnate, God taking on the veil of humanity is all encompassed when it says, this is my body. Now then, you got all that? All of him is all in there, okay? Why? That's the next phrase. That's the next phrase. It's for you. Okay, everybody needs to get your own Bibles. You need to look at it and, and this because you need to really pay attention to this. Jesus saying, when you sit down at this supper, when you sit down and you take the bread and the cup, let this remind you. Let this represent the fact that God became man for you. Got that? It's for you, Danny. It's for you, Josh. For you, Jim, Ed. It's for you. Why did God take on the veil of humanity? It's for you. 
He came here to get you. Listen, you know what's amazing about this? God did not become incarnate for Himself. It wasn't that God, you know, I just ain't got anything to do. Why don't we take on the veil of humanity and hang out with them idiots for a while? He did it for you. Why did Jesus come into the world and suffer what He suffered? Why did He leave the throne of heaven when the legions upon legions upon legions, an infinite number of legions of angels stand before Him waiting for to do anything He asked at any given moment? They are waiting. Master, what would You have me do? They're just lined up. Myriads upon myriads of angels. They number more than the stars. Why would He leave that place and walk around here with you and me? For you. Why did he suffer such hatred? Why did he suffer mocking? Why did he suffer despisement? Why did he suffer the plotting of so many who just flat out didn't tolerate him? Why did he go through everything? Have you ever thought about this? Why did he go through the pouring out of his heart in grief and anguish? for you why did he sweat great drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane it's for you why did he take the beatings the slapping the being spit on the crown of thorns why did he do that for you why death why to be beaten stripped naked and nailed to a cruel cruel cross why for you it's for you how many times have you looked at that phrase right there and overlooked that My body, all that I am, it's for you. You know what? You may be sitting there going, well, you know what? I don't deserve it. You know what I'd say? You're right. But it was still for you. Well, there may be some who will say, I don't even want it. Still for you. If you don't and you choose not to receive this, that's your problem. Guess what? It's still for you. Have you thought about this? Grab a hold of this, people. This is amazing to me. The people who will stand before God at the great white throne of judgment, who He will say, away from me, I never knew you. He can just point to the cross and say, don't you get it? That was for you. And you didn't want it. Away from me, you workers of iniquity. Jesus said, 
Look, it's for you. It's for you. 33 years among us for you. For you. Horrible, heart-wrenching time for you. Discouraged? (laughs) For you. It's all for you. Jesus is saying here in this text, look, my incarnation, my time here, what I did, is for you. Will you remember that? Everything that I have done is for you. All this life of suffering, heartache, discouragement, anguish, It all equips me to become a sympathetic high priest for you. So that you can come to me, your high priest, and you can lean on me, and you can hear me say, yes, I understand. I've been there. It's for you. It's for you. Jesus can look at you and say, I don't need this. But it's for you. The whole incarnation thing, It's for you. The reason I died, it's for you. It's for you. Because he did this, and it's for you, what should your response be? What should your response be? Would you do this in remembrance of me? Since I've done all of this, would you do something for me? See, how important to you this day is the Lord's table? And if you think about it, it's His body. That's all of His carnation. Incarnation, that's all that He is, all that He was. It is God in the veil of human flesh. Remember when they went up on the mount? James, John, Peter. And He pulled back that veil. Of His incarnation. Let me just kind of peel back the humanness. And let me just show you what's under the package. And all of a sudden in the clouds stood Moses and Elijah. And a voice from heaven says, This is my Son. Hear Him. And the response was, Let's build some altars and stay here (laughs) forever. Okay, and we laugh about that, don't we? Don't we? I laugh about that. What would you have done? Let's build some altars and stay here forever, okay? Why? Because I'm thinking this is a good place. Right? I mean, I, you know, I, Peter could say something. I'd just be saying, All right, that's what I'm doing. Or woe is me. <laughs> I, I'm in deep kimchi now. Right? He pulls back his humanity and he says, Look who is before you. Uh, maybe we should build an altar here. You know, I got, Peter said something. I, you know, I'd probably still be on the mountainside going... Alright, I don't know what that was and it freaked me out. How much greater is the Lord's table? 
Do you understand that the Lord's table is a greater event than being on the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus said, would you do something for me? You know what? I wonder sometimes about the simplest bottom line of obedience among Christians. Simplest bottom line, obedience. And I've talked to people, I shared this a little bit in my Sunday school class. I've talked to people who says, I'm searching for a church. How long have you been searching? Well, a couple of years. When was the last time you had taken the Lord's table? Look at verse 24. He given thanks, he broke this. This is my body for you. Then what does it say next? You know what the implication of do this is? That would be God's will. Okay, have you ever wondered what God's will is? God's will is whenever you say, do this. Okay, that's God's will. And it's not rocket science. People say, oh, I just can't understand God's will. When was the last time you took the Lord's table? You know, I've talked to people who it's been several years since they've taken the Lord's table. Okay? If Jesus says to do something, you either do it or you don't. Okay? If you do it, that's obedience. If you don't, what is that? Don't call it disobedience. It's that three-letter word with I in the middle. Sin. Okay? We like disobedience better than sin, don't we? But he says, this is my body. This is all that I am, and it is for you. Do this, he says. Do this. He says, do, do this, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, let me explain to you something about that phrase in the Greek. When you see that phrase in the Greek, it isn't, oh yeah, I remember. Okay, that is not the word that is being used here. Here's the definition. Meant to call into the fullness of the conscious mind the presence of the one you are remembering. Okay, that's a little more than, oh yeah. Okay. We have a tendency when we partake of the Lord's table saying, well, you know, 2,000 years ago there was a cross in Calvary and da da da, and they buried him in a hole and he got up out of the hole and all the rest of it, and the Romans were mad and the Jews were mad and, and he lives and all that stuff. Okay? That is not what that talks about. It is to reach back to the very event and to pull all of it. Okay? Now, what are we pulling all? This is my body. I'm going to pull all of that up into the present so that I'm in a living conscience in the presence of Christ Jesus. All that He is. All that He is. His virgin birth. The shepherds who came. The, the magi who came to celebrate the birth of this Jewish king. I'm thinking about the time when he was in the boat and the storm was raging and he was taking a nap up in the front and the disciples were saying, we're going to die and he's up there sleeping. Okay, I'm thinking about when he walked on water. I'm thinking about when he got his tax money out of the fish's mouth to pay his preaching tax. 
Okay? I think about taking just a handful of fish and a couple of pieces of load and feeding 5,000. Then, you know, hey, let's feed another four. And those numbers are, are small, conservative. It says they were 5,000 and 4,000 men. How many of them men had wives? How many of them men had wives and children that were there? It's very conceivable at any given time there's 20,000, 30,000 people there. I'm thinking about the masses of people that he walked among. I'm thinking about the time that he went and, and told John's disciples, tell him that the lame will walk, the blind will see, and the death will be raised again. I'm thinking about him confronting them saying, I am the bread of life. I'm thinking about him going to Nazareth and preaching the book of Isaiah at his synagogue where he grew up and they wanted to stone him, throw him off a cliff. You've got to bring it all. You bring it all. I think about when he was a little kid, his first time he goes to the Passover and mom and dad are cruising back to Nazareth to go get back to work and all of a sudden they realize, we ain't got the kid with us. Where's Jesus? And they go back and he's in there listening to the teachers of the Word of God. Should I not be about my father's business? Was his response. I think about him in Canaan. And his mother comes to him and says, they've run out of wine at this wedding. Well, fill up a couple of jugs of water. Why did you save the best wine for last? I think about him casting out demons. I think about demons trembling at the mere presence of him. It is not our time. It is not our time. I think about the, the madman and the living in the tomb and gatherings and the demons were cast out of him, thrown into the pigs, and all the pigs running over and jumping in the Sea of Galilee. And the Jews being mad because the bacon was gone. I think about the Samaritan woman at the well. And she, being a half breed, the most despised people on the planet Earth, is the first one the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am He. And it is now a time to worship in spirit and in truth. It is to reach back to the events and pull it all up into the presence so you are in a living conscience presence, conscience presence of Christ Jesus. That's what it says in remembrance of me. Jesus is saying, do this. And when you do this, Call me into your conscious mind. Not just my dying for you, but my living for you. My whole incarnation. Would you commune with that in your mind? Would you commune with that in your thinking? That's what he's saying there. It's a little bit different than what we do in the Lord's table, isn't it? Have you ever gone to the Lord's table? You know, got the guys that are running around with the trays and, and, the, and the plates and got the cups and you're wondering about, I've got this I need to take care of before I go to work on Monday and I need to take care of this. And Gee, many crickets, you know, I, when I went to the groceries yesterday, I forgot to pick up this and this and this. Maybe I pick up some on the way home from church. Or, Gee, many crickets, he's preaching it's after 12 o'clock and I can't believe it now and we're just going to be doing this and I can't do that. You know what you just did? I don't know, but I can tell you by right reading this and what Paul said, you did not partake of the Lord's tale. Because he says, this is my incarnation. This is my body. I am the bread of heaven. This is all that I am. This is God in human flesh. And it is for you. 
And I want you to do this because I did that for you. I want you to pull into the consciousness of your brain all that I am, all that I have done. You know what? When you think about all that He is, the incarnation, have you ever thought about Him coming out of the clouds? You ever thought about it? I mean, if you go through the book of Revelations, you'll see where everything has gone out. The stars have gone out. The moon has gone out. The sun has gone out. You know what that means? It's dark. And then it says the sky rolls up. You remember them old shades? I don't know if you ever had them. My grandma had them shades, the white vinyl ones. And you pull them down like this. And if you want them to go up, you tug it a little more and it would roll back up. And us bratty kids would take that thing and we'd pull it down. We'd let it go. And it just up around it. Remember those? I don't know. So you guys may not know those. There might have been some that just grew up in the south. But anyway, that's what you would do. That's the term he says that the whole sky is just rolled up like a shade. And then you know what's standing there? Jesus Christ. And he says, this is my body and it is for you. Do you know that when you get to heaven, you will have a perfect body? Did you know that? It will not have a mark on it. It will not have a blemish on it. There will be no nearsighted, no farsightedness. You will not be a diabetic. You will not have be hard of hearing. You will have great speech. You'll be able to sing with the angelic host. You know that? But do you know that you will not have a mark on you? And yet, Jesus Himself, for eternity will bear the marks of the cross of Calvary. You will see him in his wrist, his feet, and a mark in his side. Why? Because it was holiness that hung on that cross. And he says, I want you to do this for me. I want you to partake of this. I want you to bring all that consciousness flooding back in when you sit down and you partake of that bread and you partake of that cup. And anything short of that, verse 20 says, I don't know what you're doing. But it ain't partaking of the Lord's table. Have you ever partaken of the Lord's table and your mind is a million miles away? You haven't remembered the Lord in a manner that He asked? Conscious presence. Will you take this bread? Will you eat it? And will you do it? And will you call me into a consciousness of your mind? that inner recess of your mind, all that I've done for you my whole life, all after all the things that it was for you. Okay? Will you commune in that reality? Will you commune in that reality? See why it's such a perversion? How can you, in that reality, how can you partake of the Lord's table and be factious with anybody it's impossible I am the bread of life he who partakes of me he who eats of my flesh will do what have eternal life I want you guys to walk away from this day with this purpose it's part one of the purpose of the Lord's table okay you don't get anything else out of this message I want you to understand something the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ all that he did, all that he suffered and died is for you. For you. Okay? That's the purpose. When you partake of the Lord's table, you're bringing back to mind that all that he did. I mean, I can't understand him leaving sinlessness. In heaven, where the throne 
Him and the Father. There's no sin. Okay? The Scripture talks about it that it is so bright in their glory, there's no shadows. You can't get a shadow. How bright is that? I mean, let's be realistic. Have you ever looked at the sun with the naked eye? That hurts, doesn't it? Alright? But it still gives a shadow. In the presence of God, there is no shadow. Okay? He left that. For one reason. You know what that reason is? It's for you. It's for you. That's amazing to me. I don't know. I, I can't grab that. That's amazing. He left it for me. For me. And he says, I want you to do this. For me. Because I did this for you. Let's walk away with that in our minds. It's for me. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word. The amazing things that you have done. Lord, I thank you for the Lord's tale. Lord, I thank you for what you've done in my study of your word. The power of your spirit in me. Father, I understand that the incarnation was for me. Father, I pray that these precious souls understand it was for them. Each one, individually. Not husband and wives. Not based on kids. Not based on generations. Not based on traditions. Father, it was for us individually. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you showed me. And Father, I pray that these precious souls that you died for will cling to this. They will embrace this. All that you are. All that you have done. All that you are doing. And Lord, the steadfast hope of all that you will do. We praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.